Hey everyone, and welcome back to Layer Podcast, a series of conversations with designer founders about their careers and the design industry. My name is Antonio, and I'll be your host. Today, we sat down with Johnny Birch, a designer and entrepreneur, and the founder of the company Make and Grow. Most recently, Johnny left his, his steady job to pursue his own passion and his own business. And from that, it came Progression, a product for design progression that helps designers and design teams to define their skills and expectations. I think the product is really good. I had a really, really good chat with Johnny to understand his background, um, clearly his entrepreneur spirit as well, and how um, he went from from a career learning design from startup to hustling to working with hard teams some time abroad in Sweden to then come back and do his own thing. Really looking forward to see how it goes. I really hope you enjoy. Hello, Johnny. Thank you very much and uh, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. It must be weird for you being on that side for for a change. Uh, it's nice, actually. I, um, the edit is on you, so I don't have to... That's that's true. Yeah, you don't need to you don't need to to do that one. Uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for for joining the the podcast and to be here. Um, I'd like to to start from the beginning and kind of understand what uh, what you were up to. So tell me where you were born and what were you, what were you into as a kid? Okay, the very beginning. Uh, I was born in Southgate, which is ironically in the north of London, um, in a hospital that no longer exists. I think they saw what they'd made with me. Uh, and <laughs> immediately shut it down. Um, and um, yeah, that was in the mid 80s, just to give people a sense of how old I am. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, moved up to Stoke, Stoke on Trent, which is a city I would not necessarily recommend living in. Grew up as a Midlander, uh, moved back down to London when I was 12 and haven't really left since. Aside from, well, some time in Loughborough, some time in Sweden, but mainly mainly here. Nice, nice. And um, do, you, do you think there was like something you were doing as a kid that kind of brought you to be a designer? Do you think that was in you? Um, what were you into, like game, playing and stuff? I can tell this is going to be pretty cathartic for me. Well, I guess so. Like, <laughs> let, let's try not to, to make it that deep, but yeah, just yeah. Uh, interesting. In, in uh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, so I have a, an early anecdote, and it's probably one of my earlier memories. I, from the age of four or five at least... Actually, my earliest memory, which is a completely irrelevant, but I don't mind sharing, is lying on top of a chest of drawers, um, watching a Jane Fonda video, VHS, and doing exercises um, <laughs> while my parents were moving house around me from two bits in the Midlands, Newcastle, to, to um, then the, the new house that we lived in, uh, in a little village. And... Um, I was. I, I just remembered lying on my side and doing those like side splits. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, th I, I know how old I, I will have been three. Um, so that's my earliest memory. So we're very much into the, the the nowadays retro vintage 80s look. Exactly. I probably had leg warmers on and all sorts <laughs> of stuff going. And I remember the VH. Such random memories. I remember the VHS was bright blue. Like the actual cassette was blue. Yeah. So that's not relevant. The first <laughs> the first relevant <laughs> memory that I have uh, is. Um, being in primary school in reception and my primary school teacher, this was, I would have been five probably, was uh, we had a task to create, a, I think it was a train 
out of cardboard and you know whatever was lying around yeah and i got so upset to the point of tears that my train didn't move that um my poor reception teacher decided to take my train home and try and make it move overnight so elastic bands and all this stuff to make it work yeah and since then her and my mum have been friends based on that single story that yeah, it was yeah. a complete nightmare and i wanted i didn't just want what everyone else was making i wanted to make something better or something that worked or something yeah, yeah, yeah. that i wanted to I w- i'd imagined something more than so you uh, wanted like to create something that actually worked and had a function not just for the sake of being a display yeah i don't know if that really ties me to being a designer but it's been a double-edged sword ever <laughs> since that personality trait so nice no it's a, it's it's a it's a good story and i it might have something to do like with then how you are now like uh that you just don't do things to be visually pleasing and you actually want them to work. Um, mm. Okay, so from, from building cardboard trains um, into um, into studying proper um, studies, did you go to uni in the study design? Yeah, uh, I did. Um, A-level art, GCSE design, actually, graphic, graphic design, I think it was the GCSE, and then A-level art, and um, then went off and did an art foundation course at Chelsea, which was is part of the University of the Arts, uh, and really enjoyed that. And I went into that course thinking, oh, I'm going to go and do something, either art or... Actually, I was really into animation at the time, so I thought I was okay. going to go to Bournemouth, which is a really good animation school, go off and learn how to be an animator. Um, and within, or, or at least by the end of that one-year course, which is a course that the Art Foundation is a kind of a strange uh, thing in that you get an unconditional offer to join so i didn't really need any a levels so i dossed around frankly in my like the you know the last bit of school yeah um and didn't really have a lot of direction i was just like great i'm gonna move to london live with two mates uh who one of whom is now an art historian the other is a fairly famous graphic designer um and we're just gonna and we just drank a lot of vodka we found right I don't know how rambling you want this conversation to be, it's but as, as, as much the, as you want. Okay, so around the corner from uh, where we lived in Kennington, there was this uh, news agent that had clearly taken a, a case of bootleg whiskey from somewhere, who knows where. And every time we bought a bottle of vodka, Glenn's, the exciting vodka, we'd also get a free bottle of whiskey. <laughs> So I'd I'd been <laughs> living like I'd been amazing. living at home with my parents yeah. like a month before and now suddenly I was getting two for one on hard liquor which frankly could be made out of anything, um, but at the and, time does it matter? And that was and that was you know I was doing design but mainly I was uh, having a lot of fun and that continued. I art foundation decided to to go into graphic design instead of animation. Um, I was driven by solving problems I think a bit mm-hmm. more than driven by kind of the pure aesthetics of what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but I was also really into typography and and some of the kind of classic uh, tropes of graphic design over art. So that was my decision of design over art. Um, yeah. And then went off to Loughborough to do graphic design. It was a good school. Um, enjoyed that a lot. Although my tutors will say um, was aimless for another year and a half while I continued to party uh, and um, very much enjoyed university very mm. heavily for, for quite a long time. And then yep. um, my tutor, Simon, said one day, that guy over there, James, you could be as good as him, but you're not. And 
there was this kind of trigger in my head. I said, well, I said to myself, yeah, you should probably start trying to do your work here. And then, then I was off on the course of uh, kind of classical graphic design and started binding my own books. I, sp I would spend hours in Leicester, which is kind of the town south of Loughborough, um, at this letterpress studio, doing my own letterpress. Okay. And was just really into the kind of classical typesetting and yeah. understanding paper and binding and all that kind of stuff was what I was really into. Um, so graduated from Loughborough with knowing a lot about how to bind a book <laughs> and not that much else. Uh, and you know, I, I could set I could set type um, and I could you know put together some reasonably convincing um, kind of printed printed design. Uh, yeah, and ended up being a book designer. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate your unique story because it's very honest. And uh, to be fair, it's it's what you're supposed to be doing at uni, even though no one really in uni will tell you that. But that's like the stage of your life where you're supposed to do that, right? Absolutely. Drink a lot, party a lot, go late to school, like, and but still manage to progress and kind of figure yourself out. So yeah, you're learning how to be a, an actual human <coughs> rather than just like yeah. Yeah, living on the Ar teat. Arguably, you're kind of learning more about how to live on your own and how to socialize with people than just design in itself. Because absolutely, um, that's a very big important part of uh, part of it as well. Yeah, and and uh, learning how to the the kind of the truism is learning how to learn as well. Yeah, uh, and it's so so self-driven. I mean, probably actually design a bit less so because there's like studio hours and workshop. Yeah. you know, you you sit as a group and learn something um you know i had friends doing geography who had four hours of lectures a week and that was it so okay. i don't know how you meant to get anything done it <laughs> looked like great fun um <laughs> but learning how to actually balance the things you're meant to be doing with complete freedom um and a sandbox frankly in which you can mess up repeatedly and you'll be forgiven and you can still end up with a two one you know so yeah. Um, and you only appreciate that sandbox once you're actual, actually a designer working in the industry because, absolutely. well, at least for me, like when I was studying design, I, I remember that I hated having that, like so, so much time for a project and having so much feedback from everyone. And now I look back and like, oh my God, I wish, I wish I had that because now it's just really tight deadlines, not a lot of feedback. You just yeah. push as much as the best you can in like the, the shortest amount of time. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but that's the, that's like... Like that with everyone, right? Everyone, like you grow up and then you look back and you figure out, okay, that was the right thing to do, but mm. I was not realizing it. Didn't appreciate so I, it. Yeah, I didn't appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, yeah, I have friends who didn't go to university and, and say, oh, I, you know, I did I, should I have gone to university? I don't have, I'm not classically trained. I don't have the university education behind me. Mm. Am I a designer or, and frankly, no yeah <laughs> like I, I if you've motivated yourself to to get to that point yeah. without university then there's so many more deserving than most people that have been yeah uh, <laughs> and especially for design which is so visual and it's especially now in our age it's a lot of focus on the tools so knowing yeah. the tools and being really visually acute and uh, knowing about uh, the requirements and how actually someone interacts with it and if, you, if you're talking about graphic design or digital design but you can just learn everything on your own essentially yeah. and looking at other people's work doing it and doing mistakes and there's a lot of amazing designers 
out there mm. with zero uni experience and like they're a lot better than people that have like master's degrees <laughs> or p or even if you do like a phd it's because you're focusing on the niche theory yeah, yeah. uh yeah that's um it's definitely true it's design is so so much more specific than just um than just uni okay so at uni you have a, a big um big chunk of it was focused on so focus on graphic design and a lot of a lot of it was focused on book as well so and from then on what, what was your first job after uni then uh i did uh, an internship was it was it the, after my second year no it probably wasn't it was i think it would have been uh we were getting some walking lots of shoes yeah yeah uh, we're <laughs> just, for, just for context we're in the farfetch office so <laughs> there is a lot of uh, high heels and shoes and yeah there's gonna be a lot of it um adds flavor you know yeah, it, it really grounds the it's like the, 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 the background the noise yeah yeah absolutely uh what was i saying um yeah i did an internship at some point during university at a publisher a small mm -hmm. art publisher um coffee table books books about art books about cars books about design um very visual a mixture of books for trade so you know something you'd pick up for 30 or 40 quid in waterstones and books for art shows and kind of private commissions which were you know ornate and um hun hundreds of pounds for a book okay um so i spent two years there and it was a really interesting time partly because and i think i'm sure they would admit this there wasn't enough for me to do Okay. So I was young, hungry, out of university, wanting to design everything in the fucking world. Like, give me something, I'll design it. Yeah. Um, and books take ages to design and they take ages to print. So you send something off to print and then six months later you find out whether you screwed up the spine. Um, and um, everyone's everyone goes out for good lunches and um, the pace of life is very pleasant yeah um but i was hungry yeah, yeah um i needed more so it was actually in many ways it was fortuitous because it gave me time headspace and fairly often actual time at my desk to go off and hack on the internet um so that was 2008 2009 around the time that you know it was definitely pre well, the iPhone had just come out, yep. um, but mobile web was really not something that anyone was prioritizing, it's safe to say, uh, oh God, no, at yeah. that time. Yeah. But there was lots of... WordPress was everywhere, and it was really easy to buy some shared hosting, buy a domain, and start hacking together a WordPress blog and like break the PHP and then work out how to fix it later. And, yep. uh and you know you could do it all in <laughs> i spent i spent years like editing wordpress sites in the wordpress cms admin like going nuts just yeah. completely nuts now but um that was side projects for me i was like great i can build things on the web i can ship to the web yeah um so around the time that I graduated or a few months after um, I was hanging out with my girlfriend now wife and we went to a zine fair and this kind of underground like um, 
photocopied magazines, generally like comic strips and stuff like that. And we went to the zine fair actually in Houston. I remember it really well. And picked up, I, picked, I was picking up these zines. I was like, this is cool. I, I can't draw. Um, and I don't know any jokes. And generally these were like, they were either full of jokes or kind of rude cartoons or, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. Or they were super opinionated about something. I didn't have any opinions either <laughs> at that time, um, particularly. Um, aside from, I had graduated into a job. Uh, my, my goal company to work for when I graduated was like, I don't know, studio output or one of the kind of, one of the, the big fancy design agencies or branding agencies at the time. I'd ended up in publishing, which as far as I was concerned, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like, the first line in my CV that I wanted to have. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in many ways, I got lucky. Lots of my peers from my course hadn't graduated into a job at all. A lot of them struggled for months and then eventually found a design job. Many of them, some of my best friends, tried to find a design job and then went off and started doing something else. Um, so that was kind of the one opinion I had was yeah, yeah. You fall off a cliff to, to what we were talking about before. You fall off a cliff when you come out of university. You're no longer in the cocoon of, you know, it's safe and secure. And you've got the print lab down the there's wall no, and you've got tutors. There's to no structure, to. yeah. Well, the zero structure. Year, yeah. The zero structure and zero. You don't have a goal. Like you, at university, your goal is to graduate. Your goal is to finish your final project and whatever it is. But what do you do after that? What, what do you yeah. do after that? there's no right answer there's a hundred different answers um and okay. it's it's too easy to just read the stories of the people that are the best in the world like so i graduated similar time to the the guys that started it's nice that i think i was a year after them um and they were absolutely killing it like they had their own agency they'd started a blog that was blowing up and they lived in london as well and it's so easy to just compare yourself to people like that and be like well, I'm just working in this little publisher, you know, what yeah, am I yeah. even doing? Um, so, th you know, that was my one opinion was it's too hard to graduate. It's too hard to find signal in the noise at that age of, or that stage in your career of what you're meant to do next. And what is it, what is an acceptable thing to, to choose to do and what's right for you. So yeah. that's where I started um, a magazine which was going to be a zine and then I realized that I didn't have any money I was on tiniest salary you can possibly imagine imagine a tiny salary and then half it that's what I was on um, <laughs> so I had no money to like print a magazine or any of that so but the internet was next to free like 30 pounds would get you a year of hosting and a year of a domain yeah, yeah, yeah. so I was like great I'm gonna do it all on the internet and um, so started is, an is online that, um, magazine. Is that Shellsuit Zombie then? Shellsuit Zombie, yeah. Okay. Um, and this is where the double-edged sword of the tractor story comes back into play. Is normally people would say, "Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a little magazine, or I'm gonna make a blog, and I'm gonna post on my blog." Uh, but for me, I, I had to make it ten times as ambitious as that. So okay, so you created a magazine. Um, yeah. I honestly thought that um, your uh, your idea would be to just go straight into print. So you started it online first, then started it online. Okay. Yeah. Which makes sense because if you don't have to a be budget. clear, like my goal was to print. My goal, I wanted to print a magazine. Yeah. From the very first moment, I wanted to print a magazine. Yeah. Online was my way of um, starting something without. And I think I had a sense that 
I needed to have some presence. I needed to be believable in order to ask the people that I wanted to ask to write in my magazine to write in my magazine. Um, so like, yeah. I was like, okay, you have no money and no content. So how are you going to make a magazine? Why don't you at least start something and put something online? And uh, I wanted to get my opinion into the world. And it was kind of before I knew what an MVP was, it was kind of my MVP that then turned into actually the thing that has defined the rest of my career in many ways. So cool. So yeah. that because that's actually a question that I wanted to ask you. Like, if it was because it seems like it was the first thing you created, um, and it went for a long time as well. So yeah. you, you created yourself on your own. Yeah. Um, and your idea, how how did you think of structuring that? Was that to give some help to new new designers? Yeah, my my, uh, you can actually st you can go on issue uh, and which is the like magazine hosting PDF service, and you yeah. can still read the first issue of the magazine and um broadly like the first page of that was my opinion at the time which was like fuck create a review fuck the dna d awards fuck all the people that are like celebrate bear in mind my head was much more in like advertising and, and kind of that world than yeah. product at the time so i was railing against the design press that was pr celebrating multi-million dollar campaigns and these the, the rock stars of the world of design and ignoring the kids helping helping people who not only um, not only do they have they not done any good work yet they don't even know who they are yet <laughs> um, so I decided to be kind of the anti-creative review I was um, I was zagging to their zig if you like yeah. like so which meant lots of swearing um, lots of fairly random and quite rude writing and like i just wanted to i don't think i wanted to piss people off but i wanted to i th i thought this is a way to get noticed this is a way to kind of ruffle some feathers yeah um and i suppose a certain amount of force of will meant that i managed to enlist a couple of my friends um we uh went to a meetup a dnad so dnad uh for those that don't know uh designers and art directors i think that's what it stands for but it's they're I like never really knew <laughs> yeah so they're, they're like they run the awards that is yeah. the gold standard for advertising yeah. and design graphic design specifically they do product design stuff as well though i think less known for that um and we went to a meetup where they were they were speaking or they had run the meetup and i saw one of their one of their folks afterwards and I, you know, a bit of uh, Dutch courage probably and went up to her and said, I run this magazine and here's my card and you should talk to me because I think that everything you're doing is wrong or something, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. trying to, trying to um, get something out of her. And she was, she turned out to be amazing and an ally for years to come um, and got me and us in with DNAD. We ended up doing loads of stuff with the New Blood Awards, which is their like graduate showcase. Um, caused all sorts of mayhem. Uh, and through that, f probably found the money to be able to print what ended up being seven issues of the magazine. Um, nice. Yeah. And um, so uh, apart from that and networking that you, do you, did, that you did, uh, how did the magazine evolve along the years or was it always focused on the... Um, on the new grads it was always the graduate struggle yeah so as you can imagine when you're four or five years away from being a graduate like 
you start to feel a bit like a fraud when you're doing that. Oh so, God, yeah. so um, it evolved. It started as just a magazine and we do some events and it was an excuse to get drunk basically and to like <laughs> hang out with other young people and play silly games and um, and frankly for the magazine interview people that I would never otherwise have met. I, I interviewed Goldie. Um, I interviewed Tim Key. I interviewed... Um, like the Sankey, who at the time was the DNAD president, and people from Creative Review, and people from uh, really interesting kind of design luminaries that, that I would otherwise never have met. Um, so it was, it was good for that. And then it turned into, it became clear that it never made any money. In fact, it almost definitely spent thousands on it over the years. Yep. Um, it became clear that like we had built something that was valuable to brands, so we ended up talking to um, one of our biggest collaborations with, with Diesel. And they just, I, th I think they just bought into us being Hellraisers a little bit. And um, we like organized some raves together. And then uh, we ended up building or starting this company on the side. It's kind of like a design consultancy that helped them with like built them some websites and stuff. So we actually started getting paid for what we were doing. Um, so we did that for a bit and we ran this mega big 30-day uh, uh, kind of art installation uh, in Box Park. This was in the space that's now, uh, what's the pizza pizza shop in Box Park? We oh, were yeah, in yeah. there. Voodoo like, Rays, yeah. Yeah, Voodoo Rays, exactly. Uh, and we did 30 days of art. Every day was something different. One day... We had um, a festival, a music festival in there. Someone drove a Land Rover in. We had like a weird um, funeral one day. We did a Kigu party back when Kigus was what was what everyone was wearing. Um, all sorts of really weird and fascinating people turned up, and then and then we kind of broke. Like we'd done so much to organise that particular thing for not enough money, and we were too old. Yep. So that now I'm talking like. 20, 2012 so four years in um, having done loads of stuff and always really enjoyed it we were like we're now too old we're kind of getting jaded um, and starting to question some of the strongly held beliefs that we had before uh, starting to kind of understand the flip of the coin if you like yep. so we were like right we need to get graduates in and we kind of ha tried to hand over the entire thing to fresh graduates we ended up finding 30 new new zombies um and then they took it on in part although big learning lesson around delegation and management we didn't fully let go and as a result it never fully kind of took off yeah we'll talk about management more later or something but um <laughs> it's a different part of my life but um then it kind of we met loads of cool people through that but then it kind of without us driving it it started to to sort uh, down everyone got what they needed out of it and found new jobs and, and got their creative outlet and then when they got busy with their new jobs that they wanted and stopped working on it which is completely fair everyone's a volunteer like you can't yeah. force anyone to do anything um, so it kind of uh, started to slow down but it, yeah it was like four or five years of a lot of yeah we 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 went to a music festival and got told off because um we were meant to be running an art installation, but we ran a massive like garage DJ set out of a van. 
and <laughs> and we, were, we were playing our music too late and it was like against the like licensing re- regulations yeah. all the other music had shut down but the garage set was still going okay um <laughs> okay so so it seems like that was a, an amazing uh, an amazing creative out- outlet as well for you and to like get a lot of connections um as well so uh, okay, I think we, I think we could we could talk a lot about a <laughs> lot more about that in itself. Yeah. But um, to kind of fast forward, that you closed it down fairly recently, what, right? Two thousand seventeen, I think. I, t- I turned the website off recently, but okay. realistically, it, it hadn't. We hadn't done anything for a couple of years before that. Yep. It was more like it was a task to actually work out what to do with it. It's yep. easier to just let it still but exist. But it served its pro- to, purpose. And, yeah, um, you know, we. I think the 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 last kind of meaningful year was yeah 2014 2015 um and then it and then it kind of stopped after that i think um, okay yeah um okay so th- that was like one of the okay that's that seems like it was an amazing project as well just because of the all the people that you met and all the, the opportunities like it's uh, i think design and was something that i learned later on and one of the reasons that i'm doing this as well is that mm. it's really important to network and get yourself out there and do stuff that it's not design necessarily but it's related yeah. to it so you yeah. get your face out and your name out and that you get inspired um so that was like an experience with digital in a way and you were playing with it but then um you start focusing on digital because your your career now is is focused on digital and product yeah. design yeah. so how did you get into digital yeah. and got your first job there yeah and you started going from there yeah so because of um i'd been building websites on the side yeah and I managed to persuade the publisher I work for to let me lead the new, their new website rebuild as well. So I had kind of one commercial website project under, under my in, in my portfolio as well, but then also had mm-hmm. been building this kind of man thing on the side and ended up, when I decided to change jobs, applied for a bunch of digital agencies um, and ended up at one called Collective, which was two-year a two-year uh it's kind of the wildest two years of my career in that it was a real work hard play hard culture Mm -hmm. um in all the ways that (laughs) you would expect um and uh a lot of fun as many of the people that i ended up living with people that i worked with from there like i've been to their weddings like we had the most uh, it was this crazy culture of like we were all bonded um and still loads of connections from that time but it was kind of it was my first taste of agency life and i think by the end of i I was there for just under two years i think by the end of that two years it felt clear to me that i didn't really like the agency model um i didn't like the conflict of interests between doing something that a client would appreciate and what was actually the right thing to do which I was naive to user needs and and all this kind of stuff I didn't really know the the terminology but it just kind of felt weird that we would build something that didn't feel useful but felt like it was just ticking some boxes for someone Um, so I've definitely towards the end and I'm sure my boss would tell you that from my time there I found it hard to stay motivated um doing the work had some fun projects but um but they were probably in the minority um 
and mean, meanwhile, like my head was still, I got the job because of the Chelsea zombie stuff and I kept doing all of that stuff. So like I was still, I think a lot of people when they change jobs, the side project falls off because they're, they've scratched the itch with the new job, you know? Yeah, but you're still um, focusing on both. But I still, time. yeah, I was still um, headfirst into doing this other thing that was kind of mad and fun and, and um, exciting. Uh, and to be fair to them, they hired me because of it and they wanted me to carry on doing it. So I got I got a lot of support there. So, But then uh, left left there um, partly because my my girlfriend got offered a job um, at H&M in Sweden. She's in fashion. And um, so we moved off to Stockholm for a while and I worked for another... I, I was running the, the, the Zombie Labs agency at that time, um, but then also found a job uh, a company called Perfect Fools, which was a really good uh, Stockholm-based design agency. And I was doing mad hours, like I'd do a full day there and then get home and work until like 4 a.m. and then go into work for a full day again. Okay. Like, I don't know, so I don't know how I could have, I don't know how I did it, really. Yeah, so the, the, the Zombie Labs, was that a studio that you created on the side of the, yeah. the magazine as well? So it was the first, the first kind of, first time I incorporated a business was Zombie Labs okay. and that was with a co-founder a chap called Andrew who was based in London still so he was doing so we were kind of taking on projects remotely across from London to Stockholm mm -hmm. which we really liked because our business card said London and <laughs> Stockholm we, it felt like really cool to have yeah. that yeah two um, offices <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. we have oh you need to talk to the Stockholm branch you know <laughs> it was just me <laughs> by night um, but uh, we started pitching for, so I, I'm never entirely clear on the chronology of this, but we ended up moving back from Stockholm because I got offered a job um, at a startup, which by that point I'd worked for another agency out in, in Stockholm. And the model was the same. And even though the agency was very different, I still yeah. was frustrated by like this not being close to the user or, or I don't know how I would have thought about it at the time, mm. but I think retrospectively like I was thinking this work isn't meaningful like um, it's just what that person it says and they don't know I, what I, 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 underst <laughs> I understand that like because being in agencies I've had that as well where I feel that there's either too much hierarchy and you cannot do anything that uh, the art director or the creative director don't approve of yeah. or then the, there's times when the agency is just completely kissing the client's ass and yeah. what the client says yeah. is what we do and uh, I I was at, at like Euro RCG back in mm -hmm. Lisbon and they were famously for being the worst at doing that in Lisbon. Right. So like whatever the client said, we were doing. So yeah. it, it is normal that you feel frustrated when there's so so many layers of you wanting to do the good thing and yeah. you ended up doing something different. Because I remember a few times the conversation around a piece of work being um, who's the client and what laptop do they have? Because we need to make sure it looks good on yeah, that laptop. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, that's yeah. That's not. That's that not shouldn't you should be, be the primary concern. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> that shouldn't be your Fair main. Fair enough. If, if you know. <laughs> okay. Secondary so, concern, maybe. So you're living in Sweden, working Perfect Fools, which, by the way, they have an amazing work. Um, I really like them. And you were also running your your agency on the side that yeah. was created on the side of the magazine. So you're, are you still working at a magazine at this time? Still doing the magazine, still doing the, yeah, I was too I, much. I, I don't know how you were sleeping. Well, my, um, 
she's now my wife so we've survived all of this yeah but Kaz my girlfriend said uh, gave me an ultimatum she said you've got zombie stuff you've got a job and you've got me you need to lose one of them yep <laughs> basically yep. Like, in so many words that's fair, so fair uh, that was an easy decision yeah I needed her and I needed a job to pay for fun things so um, then I basically Andrew my co-founder and I decided that uh, the agency wasn't gonna be viable and actually in, in part because um, it was around that time that we pitched for a big piece of work um, we won it and it was the piece of work that was more than we could handle and yeah. off the back of winning it we decided to make a hire and we offered a designer a job as our first ever employee uh, and <laughs> he turned it down he said no um, and I often wonder if he'd said yes. And, and we ended up, um, the, the big job that we were going to do, they went bust. So it all happened around the same time. And I can never quite remember exactly the order of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this kind of perfect storm, if, if that hadn't happened, if we'd ended up hiring someone, taking on this client, chances are You'd have to I go would bankrupt. be doing something very different. Well, chances are I'd be doing something very different now. Like I'd be, you know... I'd have doubled down on a, a business model that I didn't feel passionate about. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting how decisions made by other people primarily changed, completely altered the course of my career. Yeah. Uh, something I think about a lot. Uh, but that resulted in us shutting the, the, the business down as it stood. Uh, and I ended up at um, OSPA, which is the my first real i suppose product design role if you like okay so Dedicated. you you went from book designing to starting a couple of a, uh, projects yeah project slash age uh, agency some of these are concurrent some of these are yeah, you know yeah, parallel they, they rather kinda, than in series yeah, but yeah they kind of overlap but um by that time you're fully focused on uh, digital which at the time was uh, mostly web design yeah. assuming and online yeah. marketing so all the, the good stuff. I did I did my share of banner ads in Flash we back all did. in the day. We yeah. all did. Um and emails. Um okay, so and this is like this is a this is your first first product design job. Um and um I saw that you were a design lead there. Mm. Was that how you started or how how was yeah, it? Yeah, so this is this is uh interesting insofar as well, we can talk about what I'm up to now a bit later and I'll I'll hark back to it. But yes, I started I was the first hire. Uh, when I joined, it was just a man with an idea, effectively. Okay. Um, a guy called Alec, who was hugely visionary and, and captivating, and still is. Um, and uh, he kind of had me at, I'm starting a bank for children. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, cool, like, where do I sign? Um, I don't care that we haven't raised any money yet. And that there's, you know, I'm going to have to survive on nothing and live with my parents for a couple of months while I work out what the hell's going on. Um, this feels too cool to not do. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we, that was in September, 2012 that started and is that right? No. Yes. September, 2012. Um, and then at the very end of 2012, me and him and this chap Nico who's the, the kind of tech lead um, did this hackathon 
to all meet for the first time and all work together. Uh, and we won it. We won the London Heat just before Christmas. And the, the final was in San Francisco. And we were going to be pitching to Naval Ravikant and like some of the some of the really big names. Yep. Um, with a big pot of gold at the end as well, you know, offers of um, investment and, and all this kind of stuff. So we spent six weeks crunching and built built the bones of our bank in six weeks uh, and then went out and, and won the final as well. So it was like this crazy nice. roller coaster ride of three months before that, I'd been in Stockholm, not really knowing what I was doing with my life. And then suddenly I was kind of on this journey, which involved literally no money at that time. Like I wasn't being paid. Yep. And even our flights out to San Francisco, they only gave us two flights and there were four of us that actually went out so we had to like split <laughs> the costs. But yeah, yeah, so I ended up spending money on, on, on this stuff. Um, but it just felt like such a wild ride and, and this big risk that I'd been looking for, I think, f as, a, as this, to fill this hole that um, the zombie stuff had been, had, had left. Yeah, but because again, yeah, that's, that's kind of that feel that once you start something, you want it to become something. You just yeah. don't want it to just be stagnant so it seems like that worked out really well for um for that beginning um one thing that i want to ask you is that since you had that uh, that hackathon and that uh, kind of delivery and presentation and yeah. such a big such a big goal which is like getting some seed money yeah um how did that influence your design process were you i'm assuming you were working a lot more and you were trying to be better than yeah so uh, uh being early stage and building something that quickly, mm -hmm. your design process doesn't entirely exist. Like oh, yeah. I spent, I spent probably half a day on the logo that we then scaled with for like, well, six years. Yep. Um, <laughs> when you I think about the process of designing the the apps, it was like, what can I build? Basically, I was building the UIs myself or the two of us were building the UIs between the two of us. Mm -hmm. Nico is a back-end engineer. So I was like doing a lot of the interface layer stuff, like writing the code as well, all based on jQuery mobile, which some people... It's not great. Some people won't have heard of. Yeah. It was like the first... It was the first framework for building UIs on mobile that was based on web technology and like yeah. you could hack it together really quickly and, and it was really well documented um, looked like shit but actually maybe it didn't at the time now I think it looks like shit but uh, yeah, probably at the time was in trend with the with everyone exactly else and, and you know uh, and it was functional yeah um, but what's interesting is you know, you start at that early stage with your MVP and you're like, oh, well, we can always chuck it. We can always try something new. And then the paradigms that we decided on, which to be fair are, are fairly common kind of banking, mobile banking paradigms yeah. around like lists of transactions and all that kind of stuff. Um, we stuck with forever and, and found it hard to really find time to ever reimagine them. And they became the core of the product, even though... Uh, the UI improved for sure, but like the the structure, the UX, if you like, um, wasn't stayed changed. The same, for stayed the same. Yeah, yeah, that is that is scary. But again, the, 
it is what you're doing on a startup and yeah you're just trying to survive and get to exactly the, get to the next month you're spinning and, plates yeah. and you, if yeah. you're precious if you have if you're stopping to second guess every one of your decisions then you're going to get lost under the pile of work that you have to do um, so and under the different hats that you have to wear so it's such a different job to working as a designer in a big company okay, um, yeah, yeah. you it's, learn a whole different set of things yeah. It's uh, if you don't do it, it's not like someone will get pissed off. Like yeah. the whole company goes down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah, exactly. You end up you're responsible for a meaningful part of the yeah. work. You know, for however many months, I was one third of the entire team, uh, and someone was had to do it. And the whole so design department, and the whole front <laughs> the end whole department. design department. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the shitty side of the front end de department for sure, um, and. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a wild time, but so it was very much in line with my personality. I think like I don't think I could have. I learned in that first year that early stage was my stage was the right right kind of the place for size and scrappiness for me. So how did um, that experience um, end then? So I was there for three and a half years. Um, when I left, we had gone through seed series A. Um, had some wild things happen, uh, including so Davina McCall, TV's Davina McCall was um, a big advocate for the product mm -hmm. and posted it on her Facebook group, which has lots of people exactly in the demographic for a product like ours, which was banking for children. So you're aiming at um, mums with kids between kind of eight and 15. Yeah. Uh, loads of them all signed up. Uh, we hadn't worked out how to scale any of our processes like we couldn't print cards fast enough we were packing them ourselves um, we were you know I was we were literally like I was going down to the print shop around the corner to print more uh, card holders and then cutting them with a Stanley knife <laughs> so that we could put cards in and put them in the post uh, so just like nut, nut yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, so that was kind of around Series A time. And then uh, I was there for a couple more years, about a year year after that. And then we got to kind of 30, 35. And at that point, I felt like I'd been there for three and a half years at that point, And I wanted, to, I fancied a change. Um, and that's when I ended up moving. I'd planned to take some months off, but then Simon from Deliveroo um, we schmoozed me over... <laughs> over breakfast no we schmoozed each other and um you know schmoozing is not <laughs> sexual it's just <laughs> it's having breakfast together yeah, you're, uh, making, you're <laughs> making it worse you're making it worse it's, uh, just uh, and i ended up uh i took one look at Deliveroo. he yeah. took he walked me around an empty office the old torrington place office before anyone had moved in um and said this is our new office we're going to be here for the future and within three months that office was not only full, but um, bursting at the seams. Yeah. So that started then this wild ride with Deliveroo. Um, I was, I think, around the 150th employee. And when I left, we were 2000. Nice. Wow. Um, yeah, that's definitely it's clearly your biggest name in your CV. And um, probably the one that gave you a lot of recognition yeah. as well. Um, so how was your experience there? How did you start? And um, because you... You left as a design lead and manager? Yeah, yeah so uh, the time I joined was uh, kind of a... 
the design team was at this breaking point and the, the brand design and the product design teams were in one reporting line under Simon. Yeah. Um, and the company was growing, the number of engineers was growing and it was clear that the product teams were going to have to split into multiple product teams and there were going to have to be more designers. And um, so there were, f there were f four design, three designers and then me and one other designer, Saf, joined in the same week. So um, it turned into five. And to start with, um, I was a design lead with, I think I started line managing three months in. Mm -hmm. um, but I was an, a player coach, if you like, for the first at least year and a half, uh, doing some work. And then when the team got to a certain size, I was like, I shouldn't really be doing work anymore. Um, but it was an interesting way to transition from being a, a, a designer into being a manager. Um, and uh, in your previous previous position at Osborne, were you you were design lead, but over the time that you were there, did the team the design team grow? No, no. So this is the this is the ridiculous thing, and this is actually what is really interesting to talk about is yeah. title inflation. Yeah. yeah. Um, is I joined as design lead, lead of who? Like lead of uh, myself. Yeah. Um, but it felt it felt yeah. good to me, and it felt like yeah. that was an important part of the offer that was made to me as, you know, joining a company on a significantly less than market rate salary, and to start with a few months of nothing. Mm -hmm. um, you got to give me something like, you can't. It's it's a thing that early stage companies do because they can't compete with pay, so yeah. they so they give you like the highest role inflate titles. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, I think at the time I was like, yeah, I'm design lead, like completely fair. It was my, really my first uh, real product design job. I think if, so there were, there were things out of my control to an extent that meant that um, we never made another design hire. We tried, we were, we were hiring constantly mm -hmm. for designers and we never hired one. Um, okay. Lots of reasons for that. Uh, okay. Some some political reasons that uh, I probably I'm not going to talk about here. But uh, which was it, it was a frustration to me because I couldn't get out from under the workload. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, another designer would have really helped me out. Um, so I ended up. I I mean, there were we had contractors, um, but no full-time I, I was never a line manager of yeah. a full-time so person. at delivery that was your first time so it was uh, my first I was first time manager yeah cool so how was that progression was it uh, was it normal was it easy was it a bit no. scary no if anyone is looking to become a manager and hasn't really thought about what that means mm -hmm. think about what that means <laughs> why is that <laughs> um it's a different job it's a different job like Imagine not having any time to put your headphones on and do work for any any period of time longer than like an hour. Yeah. Um, imagine you your work being measured over quarters or you know months rather than days or hours. Yeah. So you're not gonna sit down in the morning and then by the end of the day have a beautiful prototype. That doesn't happen anymore. You end up the work you do is measurable over a longer period of time and even then barely measurable like you can't really know you can't produce multiple versions and test them against each other yeah you make one decision and then maybe it went well and maybe it didn't you just have to wait you don't to have a b variant yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. uh so uh there's that there's also the fact that 
And especially if you're coming from a relationship where the people you're managing were previously your peers on some level, you've got to learn how to balance between being friends with people and being their manager, being their manager and mm. having to have conversations about compensation or conversations about performance or conversations about like them not being happy. Uh, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, and you need to know that like, you can't know whether you'll be good at that, but you need to know whether naturally you feel comfortable think even thinking about doing that um, as as a person at work and spending s some or all of your time in that world of making sure that other people are doing a good job rather than you doing a good job the the final thing is um, you need to be good at basking in reflected glory so for sure when people on your team ship great work then you need to recognize your part in that because you're not doing the work yourself. So as a designer, it's, I think we probably take for granted the fact that if we produce something pretty, then people go, ooh, that's cool. And they're playing with it and they're, you know, interacting with it. And um, then you, it feels like a superpower. Like you, you can do something that they can't do and you've managed to describe a problem or describe a UI or whatever it is in a way that no one else around the table could have done. Mm -hmm. When you're a manager, you're kind of playing in their territory a bit more um, and suddenly you have to learn how to be, nothing you do is immediately a wow factor, like a spreadsheet or an email is never gonna wow anyone or a process. So you have to be comfortable <laughs> with like, okay, there's a bit less glamour yeah. in this role. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a supporting character. I'm a, what lots of people call a shit umbrella, which means if someone has a complaint about some work on the team, I intercept it yeah. and take on that yeah. and make sure that whoever it is isn't distracted by it or, or is shielded from it appropriately. So like it's in many ways a bit of a thankless task in the moment. What's great about it is you get these incredible like warm feelings of joy when someone on your team does something amazing. Um, so for example, if a piece of work ships that was done by someone who you moved from a different team because you thought that they would be great on that project and then they were, you got and then that. they absolutely smashed it, yeah. then you're like, get it. <laughs> so was it hard for you to do that transition and uh, did you miss that, that recognition and uh, that output yeah, of yourself? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think um, I'm comfortable admitting that. Like, you're not human if you don't... Yeah. Or, you're, or at least you're not a designer. We got into this trade for a reason. Like, we like producing beautiful things. We like creating the experience and designing the, um, solving the problem, being at the coalface, you know? Yeah. Uh, and anyone who says, <coughs> no, I'm absolutely fine. I didn't even like designing anyway. Maybe you shouldn't have been a designer, but like yeah, yeah. At, at the very least is, ki is kidding themselves to an extent. So I think it's okay to say, oh, this this is different and this is hard. I think um, knowing a lot of people who are managers aren't good managers and shouldn't be managers. Yep. But the ones that are good get over that hump, I think, and then embrace or recognize their new job as still designing stuff. They're just designing different stuff. They're designing a team or they're designing a process or they're designing efficiency or mm -hmm. deeper connections with other teams in the organization or... Um, a better understanding of design thinking amidst 
the execs or whatever the thing is that you're excited about doing um, or, or really drives you, see it as design and see it as a really important role to play. And then um, there's kind of ways to get through it. But I'm comfortable admitting that I, there were many aspects of being a manager that I didn't enjoy. No, and and I wouldn't be looking immediately to get back into a design management role if this all went wrong. <laughs> Tits up. Yeah. Um, no, and I, I think it's. I think you should. I think you should always be honest, and um, because that's the thing you're saying. Like a lot of people are are managers, and they're really bad managers. And mm -hmm. I've been on the on the side of being managed by someone who has no idea what they're doing. And I think for being in that in that situation so many times, I'd, I'd like to have the experience of being a good manager because I think that it really gives you that opportunity to to connect with people. But then again, you're really responsible for those people. So their happiness and their progression. And um, if they want to leave, if someone like leaves um, the, the job under your team, you probably feel it really hard because you start thinking, why did it? Why did they do that? Why? What could I have done it differently? Um, <clears throat> but I, I definitely agree that there's different types of people, and some people are born to be managers and they want to do that. And yeah. you can be an amazing designer and eventually fall out of love of it, yeah. and then go into more in the details and intricacies of uh, the industry. Um, or some people, probably like you, you just want to get shit done. Mm -hmm. So you want you have that feeling, and even if you're a manager, you need to do something on the side to kind of. Uh, fuel that fire um so you worked there uh delivery for kind of like two years what um do you have like a, a biggest accomplishment there uh, that you've had or projects uh, yeah two and a half years what i mean there's loads of stuff if i look at whether but here's the thing is when you're uh, definitely when you're a company of a certain size yeah. there are things that we shipped that were big and hard to ship uh, and there were decisions that we made for example as a leadership team that that I played a part in and was very proud of uh, and uh, but for the most part the easiest and best way to measure is what you've turned up to and what you left behind mm -hmm. and um, the company changed so much in that time that it's obviously very hard to split out what my exact role in that was yep. but um, just the quality of the experience and the, the, the depth of thought that I think that the team put into um, the user and, and, and advocating for that and um, thinking through design process in a meaningful way. We had some incredible designers there who were teaching me stuff like you wouldn't believe. Um, but the output at the end of the day is what matters and we shipped some fucking good UI. Like I turned up yeah. And we were like a month into our the process of rebranding that then would ship 10, 10 months after I joined. Uh, so I was part of that process. That was really interesting, working with Design Studio and working out how to ship a new brand on the same day across the world when you've got to swap everyone's jackets and everyone's boxes and um, obviously all, all the, the displays. all the display stuff and then flip the flip the product as well. Yeah. Um, so really fascinating experience to, to work out how to slash scope and slash scope and slash scope yeah. because the existing product and all the other stuff that people are working on still needs to keep going out. Um, so that was fun. Uh, and then uh, 
things like we started a growth team while I was there. So working out what, and I was looking after the, the design aspects of that. So like, what does that look like and how do you split up that growth group into different product teams? And, um, and also we started thinking about design ops. And um, so Matt, who is like this fantastic designer uh, who was head of design at List, and then he joined my team at uh, Deliveroo and now is a software engineer and he's had the most amazing trajectory but mm-hmm. and journey through his career but um, seeing him turn up with a designer title but go off and be kind of this hybrid design engineer who would like bring software engineers and designers together and get them to agree on stuff was like really cool to see and be a part of facilitating yeah so these aren't, it's not like I can say that UI, like that that feature. Um, but there were some fascinating projects, but just generally, it's just really, this is what I mean about measuring your output in a different way. Like the team was great when I joined, but small and hadn't worked out what it was yet. And I feel like I was a big part of turning that into something that was, and I think is one of the best design teams in London. Nice. All right. No, it sounds I like I would it was say the best team. You know, I would say that. Well, you, you would. <laughs> uh, no, it sounds like it was a really good experience. And then you <clears throat> you grew up a lot there as well as a, as a manager. Yeah. As you were saying, yeah. you learn a lot of things that you surely don't learn at uni and you don't yeah. learn as a designer. Um, but again, this was a permanent role with the company and you were there for a couple of years. And your whole profile before you've created a lot of stuff. You yeah. created the Zombie Labs, the magazine. And then you you left to create something else again. Well, were you feeling that were you tired of being a manager, or were you just feeling the few that fire that you needed to create something, or both? Is it uh, everything to an extent? Mm. Uh, all the things you said, I would say in term in percentage terms, uh, I'd spent too long not making something yep. weird that was mine. Uh, and I needed that back. I needed, I needed to. I think a lot of it is the thrill of the chase. Like it was too. The the zombie stuff was just. I never knew what it was. Mm. I never knew what the next. Never knew where the next hundred quid was going to come from to pay for whatever it was, flyers for the next event or whatever yeah. the thing. Like we were scraping everything together. Um, it was one of the most exciting things I've ever achieved and you know in terms of kind of life achievements I would put that up with anything else that I've done in my career for sure uh but what was the thrill of that like what was the to to break that down what was the kind of exciting thing for me and very personally it was something small something scrappy something that's mine Mm -hmm. so that mainly um but I think also a a company of 2,000 people is a very different beast to a company of even 150 when I joined delivery but definitely most of the other teams I'd ever worked in were under 30 people. So I was feeling the, the, there were certain things happening at Deliveroo, like just silly stuff like implementation of um, NetSuite, which is this God awful Oracle software to manage expenses. It's just stuff like that. It's like, okay, so we're, we're no longer making decisions as a group of humans. We're making yeah. decisions as a company that needs to prepare itself for IPO or whatever the thing, you know, uh, and it needs to organize itself in a different way, which is 
understandable and completely fine and very much needed but it wasn't for me yeah um and i had so i started talking to simon about leaving like three four months before i left and we had loads of ideas for things i could do at delivery to stay mm -hmm. and i just fundamentally found it hard to get super excited about any of them um, because i think i needed something that was mine and i needed i i don't think it was so much not enjoying being a manager but i think they're all related on a level I, I absolutely understand because if you're if you're used to small teams and if you're used to creating something and having a say it gets to a point that um yeah 2500 people in a company yeah. like it's it's too big of a company for you to feel like you have that impact it's good if you're really comfortable and you just want to like keep doing your job but yeah. clearly it's not your type so you you left and uh, you wanted to start something and you had kind of like a false start with um with the in a project with a couple of friends of yours yeah. right yeah. So tell me quickly about that. Yeah, so two two colleagues from Ospo, which is the company I worked at before Deliveroo, mm -hmm. um, one of whom was a, a product manager and the other was an engineer, both both guys that I got on well, really well with when I worked there. Um, and we kind of left as friends, all kind of saying, one day we should do something together. Yeah. It was that kind of, you know. And um, then Saar went off to Uber, Sharia went off to Palantir and... Uh, probably about a year before I left Deliveroo, we started, we set up a little Slack group and started just throwing startup ideas about with no real aim to do anything other yep. than just chat um, and share interesting articles and share trends and talk about where tech was going and all that kind of stuff. Um, that obviously then evolved into a, when are we starting a thing together? Yep. And those conversations always end with like, one what day. would we do like yeah. if we were a team what would we do um so it was inevitable that when i chose to leave to do something i would do it with them and they're two of the brightest people that i've ever worked with so and with those backgrounds is a really good um it's just it felt right yep the main reason why so we spent three months together and, and iterated through loads of different ideas and and um and frankly, we were also practicing working together as a team for the first time. And the reason why it didn't work was on a team level, I think, rather than because we couldn't find... There's this really interesting relationship between finding the right idea to work on mm. and finding the right people to work on an idea with. Yeah. And it's much more nuanced than we get on well. So we, we, we ended up having slightly different goals in terms of what we wanted to achieve with this company that was that was ours and we'd incorporated it, it existed. Um, and what that, the, the, the end result of those different ideas is we would get to a certain point with each product that we were building and testing and then one of us would be like, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> and then the others would be like, okay, well, we thought it was cool, but now yeah. you've said that, where we don't know where it's going and then we'd kind of not invalidating the idea at all but just kind of it would kind of peter off yeah kind of and then or, or we'd be like oh there's this related idea maybe we should try that mm. and um this was all super interesting and exciting for a couple of months we're like let's we're not going to find the, the idea straight away this is absolutely fine but then i think we start to see patterns emerge where um, I would bias in a certain way and 
Sarah would buy us in a different way and we'd always end up having similar conversations but about different ideas. And I, I made the call basically. I just said, uh, you guys should keep working on the thing that we had landed on um, at that point in time and I'm going to take some time and it may be that I'm gone for three months and then I come crawling back and say, can I join in again? Or it may be that I find a problem that really means that, that resonates with me. And as, as it happened, I found that idea within two, three weeks of, of kind of removing myself from this shared headspace mm -hmm. where we were trying to find an idea that all of us could get excited about. I, I could become super selfish and just be like, what do I care about? What, yeah. What's the problem that um, is most meaningful to me where I have domain expertise, where you I don't have, have a network. You don't have to convince anyone. So it's, it's and where I've lived it myself. Life. Yeah. Um, so is in it, what did you create with that? Is that where progression app came from or? Yeah, so, that, so the, the, the thing that, it's interesting when you have a blank piece of paper, mm -hmm. like I'm a designer, so I have to make a design tool because that is mainly what I know about. Yeah. And I'm not like, I don't have this private passion that is a really deep hobby. Like I, I'm not like a, uh, I don't know, a judo master <laughs> who was like frustrated with something about judo. Yeah. Like I don't have that, that I have a deep level of domain expertise in. So, so you, you didn't have a problem like clear from the beginning. You were trying to analyze your process and see if you could find a problem. That you yeah. So my first, my first step was what problems do I have? Yeah. Um, which is like the thing that whenever you read any blogs or articles or forums about how yeah. to become an entrepreneur, that's what people say is, think about the problems that you have. Yeah. And it just so happened that right in front of my face, there was this problem that I had had at Deliveroo um, and that I kept seeing other people who were design managers and leading design teams also complaining about and doing exactly the same thing as we had done at Deliveroo, which is defining the skills that your team needs to grow. Yep. Um, on the most basic level, what we did was make a spreadsheet Yep. And down the side, it had all the different skills. Um, and along the top, it had all the different levels. And then in each box was a kind of verbal description of what it means to be at that level at that skill. Okay, so a very, very like harsh, very rudimental, rudimental yeah, yeah. way of doing that. So Yeah, I mean, um, rudimentary in terms of the technology, yeah. but deeply complicated and thought through in terms of the content. Mm -hmm. So the content was like, took us months to write, um, lots of iterations, lots of group meetings, and then sending it out to the team as a new iteration for to get consensus across the whole design team, and then coming back and scratching our heads a bit more, and eventually ended up with a version that we were at least happy with as a first version. Um, and then we released it into the into the world, into the design team. Yep. And then it was kind of used a bit for the first few months and then no one opened it after that. So when you, f when you found out that idea, like, and you probably like remembered it when yep. you were going through the, the issues you had, so when was that moment that you thought, okay, I want to do this. I'm going to focus on this because this seems like has potential. Yeah. So, um, I think as part of doing the delivery one, I'd, been collecting a few example frameworks together. So some some people, BuzzFeed did one, um, mm. and uh, a few others. Peter Merholtz, who wrote 
all design for design orgs, which is kind of a, an O'Reilly book about building a design team. Um, there were a few examples out there of other people that had done this. And I had collected a few of them together in a list, like in a spreadsheet. And um, I, I had this kind of idea in my head that maybe this was a thing that had, wasn't being solved. And I read somewhere that if you want an idea, if you want to look for an opportunity, find where people are doing stuff in spreadsheets was some, something I'd read somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I've got a spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet of spreadsheets. So I'm gonna turn that spreadsheet of spreadsheets into a website where you can find all the examples of open source tech progression frameworks. So okay. it wasn't just design engineering, it's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so I built that in a day. And that's, just that's progression.f. Progression.fyi. Uh, built that in a day and kind of shared with my network um, Twitter, LinkedIn, and mm -hmm. a couple of Slack channels, and um, it got reshared a bunch. And like the 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 analytics were surprising to me, um, given it was such a kind of niche. What I felt was quite a niche and and um, obscure problem to have that mm -hmm. could only really ever be experienced by a small group of people, yep. a subset of a subset. Yeah. Um, so that spurred me on and and set me off on the course of working out okay, so this is a thing that people want to solve. Why are they looking to find examples? What problem are they solving with that? Is it about content? Is it about understanding a process, etc.? cetera? Um, and then that led me to build back in August time. Uh, well, I finished it in August. Um, a, a really, I suppose, it was still a spreadsheet, but it had a UI on top of it. Mm -hmm. and the spreadsheet I had written all the content I'd written like 25,000 words of descriptors of what a good designer looks like yep. um, and you know pulled from all sorts of sources and like tried to tried to I suppose do the do it properly but fundamentally written by me um, and then built this kind of UI that would allow someone to buy the framework which was in Airtable um, hit GitHub deploy and it would deploy to Netlify um, this static site that you could then click around and you could add your team to. It effectively was a basic CMS yep. with a site in front of it. And then people could go through assessments and put in their skills and then see where they were on the framework. So it was effectively one step better than having a spreadsheet. Yep. It was a spreadsheet where you could see yourself on it broadly. Um, and yeah, launched that. It was called Progression Pack, and I launched that in August. Got a few sales. Um, did ran a a, a pilot um, on site with a couple of companies, tech companies in London. Uh, learned a huge amount about the assumptions I'd made and where they were wrong, <laughs> and a lot of the concerns that people had when doing something like this. You're fundamentally like launching something or releasing something that can affect the careers of everyone in your team, so you can't. You can't do it flippantly. Yeah. Um, and then that led me to say, well, okay, this was interesting. It wasn't quite right, but it was interesting. Uh, I'm going to take my learnings and then build a SaaS product, build a build a full, build the actual thing, um, which is what I've spent the last three months doing, basically. Okay. That's, it's great because you, you, you created your MVP. Yeah. Uh, you launched it, you sold it, mm. which it's usually hard as well so at least you got some money out of it i'm assuming probably not a, not a lot uh, i made uh, yeah i made a a few grand 
like it was it was enough for me at the time to yeah. uh validate a the main thing i, I didn't actually really care about how much i was yeah, selling exactly. it for i cared to that people the wanted business. to put money into this and get this out of it like i knew that it wasn't perfect i knew yeah. that but i wanted to yeah a problem that someone's willing to pay for is is kind of one of the things you want to test first so so you you find a problem um you you build a solution an mvp you you validate it because you sold yeah. it and that's that's amazing um and now you're building like a next version so is that do you think that's going going to be like an ongoing platform that you're creating and improving and uh, will that be the thing that you see yourself working on for the next couple of years if yeah it picks abso up? absolutely so i uh i have very much i think it's probably taken me a year to to get to this point mentally mm. but this is the next phase of my life this isn't like a, th a a thing that i'm doing for a bit to see if it works before going back to um a design job I mean, it may be that I have to do that yeah. if it doesn't work, but the goal is to uh, to turn this into something that will support me and support maybe a small team of people um, for the ongoing. Okay, how how's it going then with um, with interest and clients and? Um yeah, I think I think I, I mean I've had a really interesting couple of weeks. <laughs> okay, um, I announced this is so we're recording on the sixth of February, twenty nineteen. Um, I announced a couple of days ago that my the next phase of my launch is kicking off uh, on the 12th of March. So that gives me just over a month to build the rest of the product or the rest of the first version of the product. And then um, I'm going to try and get eight to 10 teams uh, using it for a couple of months who will be paying, will be paying a, you know, a, a per seat cost, um, a reduced one, but they will be paying yep. um, to really validate that this next version is solving someone's problem it may it may not do so perfectly that's going to be full of bugs i'm sure but um that's the next goal is to kind of get to the second half of this year really confident that what i've built so far is the the seed of something that will scale so beyond uh beyond the kind of functionality of a spreadsheet plus it will scale into something that is potentially a, a, a meaningful step change in how people think about designing their careers uh, is the goal. That, okay. That'll take years. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a designer, you started graphic design, then you eventually did a bit of uh, coding for UI to yeah. at your uh, to startup that you were uh, the only designer. Now you're building like a, comp a, a big pro uh, project, a big product. Yeah. I looked at the website, it looks amazing. I've, I've spoke with people that are interested in it and i personally believe it's going to blow up <laughs> so if you do Thank get you. rich and throw parties <laughs> at yachts at least invite oh, me oh yeah yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> um but are you building this on your own or do you have any help um i've been looking for a technical co-founder for the last four or five months mm -hmm. and i'm now a month and a half into working with uh, a, a great developer who um we're very aligned importantly in terms of our ambition for the company, which was like one of the first things, you know, after uh, kind of screwing that up before and learning a huge amount. Yeah. I, the thing I was most keen to do my due diligence on was what can you imagine we could have done in five years time or in 10 years time? Yeah. If we ended up in this situation, what would you do? If we ended up, uh, for example, someone turning up in <coughs> a year's time and 
offering us money that looks great but we've still got ideas what would we do if someone said i want to invest 10 million dollars in your company what would we do if you know and you put yourself if in a year's time we're scraping along and we still haven't worked out how to monetize this properly what would we do um mm. so just kind of pulling apart and, and also mm. actually kind of uh life goals as well do you want to I, i'm quite keen to start to build a remote company mm. um so that i can try living somewhere else or you know when kids turn up in my life that we can move closer to my in-laws in, up in manchester for example um so stuff like that is really important to yep. me to make sure that even though we may be co-located now at some point we don't have to be uh and just in terms of uh, i have quite strong opinions about venture capitalists you know going down the the institutional money route and yep. and avoiding um building dependencies on your company that you and you want. you've been bootstrapping all this time bootstrapping all this time yep. yeah so uh I think last year, 2018, from whenever it was, uh, end of February or middle of February to the end of the year, I think I did about 30 days of paid work, yeah. um, which has meant that uh, <laughs> I've that plus uh, reduction in various frivolous expenses. <laughs> I literally don't know how I was spending my money before. But anyway, um, oh, you find a way. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Um, and. Uh, I, you know, my savings have diminished by a bit, but I definitely haven't saved money, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so that has got me to this point. And I'm hoping that in the next couple of months, the product, I will start getting the, 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 the subscription revenue that then will mean it won't necessarily be enough to keep me initially, but it yeah. will um, then mean that there's a line that is starting, you know, that, that curve. We can then put some lines in the sand around... What do we need to be earning in order for two co-founders to be living comfortably? How quickly can we get to that? And and um, and you were saying that you did your due diligence with um, with your co-founder, uh, the person you're working yeah. with. Yeah. Um, do you what What are your expectations? Uh, do you Do you want to become like a huge tool in a huge company run with a lot of with a lot of people? You want to yep. keep it contained in a small lifestyle business that you can control. Um, don't know <laughs> uh, and a lot of it will depend on what the opportunity turns out to be mm -hmm. so <clears throat> I can imagine that it feels like I'm first to market yeah I can imagine that competitors turn up and at some point a big competitor turns up with a lot more money than we have yeah so then that's the that's the point at which you kind of decide do we go for this and maybe raise some money in order to compete with that or do we stay small and find our niche mm -hmm. um, And that's where, that's where you really have to answer those questions. Until then, right now, I'm comfortable. Uh, I'm, I'm comfortable it being small and sustainable, and um, us being able to support a small team. There is there is this fallacy that you have to grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm very keen to challenge that uh, at every possible juncture. But there will be points also <coughs> where if you don't grow, you might die. So at that point, then you have to kind of um, make that call. If it's a kind of land grab situation and winner takes all market, then you kind of have to you have to commit to that and yeah. potentially grow a team and 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 move a lot faster. I I I, I agree with you. Um, I think that um, 
especially in the, the startup world and the tech world, you see more and more that these huge companies they want to grow just because to conquer the market. Yeah. And they're not even making money. So yeah. Amazon, for instance, wasn't making yeah. money from a lot of sales just to conquer the market, and yeah. now they're selling overpriced crap just to make yeah. money. <laughs> Um, well, Amazon, you know, Amazon is is an example of a company where those people that invested and waited for years for Amazon to lose money are now making a huge amount of money. Mm. But for every Amazon, there's a thousand other companies that went, took that strategy and then died. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and that's how and that's how the institutional investors design it. They'll they'll bet on a hundred horses. Yeah. And hope based that one on works, what yeah. the winnings from yeah. one will pay for the rest so and they want you to they want you to they want to find out quickly whether you're gonna win or lose but then on the on the flip side of the coin you have like these lifestyle businesses and one of them is um, one that i follow is uh, ghost which is a yeah. blogging platform yeah, yeah. i've been following the founder john nolan on, wit on yeah. twitter for a couple of years yeah. and i remember him being a designer and dev and all of a sudden starting this small thing yeah and now they're they're big as in the sense that the company is doing great business but they're still a really small absolutely uh, tight-knit team and um, i don't think they have any expectations or will to grow more than that and yeah i love that you can control yeah. your business you can still make good business and good money yeah you don't need to be the next facebook every time because well we see how that goes it doesn't go that well exactly um exactly i think yeah there are there's such a huge spectrum of people in the world and different types of people, different types of companies that there will always be niches that work for, it, you need to find a hundred true fans or a thousand true fans. If you can find those people and those people absolutely love you, mm. then that's enough to sustain a, a small company forever. And you look at a company like Basecamp who aren't big, um, but they're self-funded yeah. uh, and um, very passionate about what they do and the people that use Basecamp love Basecamp and wouldn't use anything it's, else. It's a great example, yeah. They kind of blew up in a bit. They had that challenge. Yeah. And then they downsized and now they're just going strong. Solid, yeah. solid business, exactly. focused. Cool. Um, I I honestly think it's going to go really well. It looks amazing. So I <laughs> thank you. Best of luck for that. I really hope it goes. It does. Um, on the side, you also have Make and Grow, which I'm assuming is a company that you created. Yeah, Make and Grow is the, the kind of holding company for... Yeah. I started Make and Grow before I knew what the product was that I was going to mm -hmm. kind of... The basket I was going to put my eggs in. Yeah. So I think at some point I'll probably change the name of that to just progression something. Okay. Um, because it feels like I've committed now. <laughs> so I might as well not confuse people with a different company. Do you, I don't know if you remember, but Sketch... Um, the company name was Bohemian Coding. Oh yeah, and yeah. it was always oh, they changed their name, and their Twitter handle was Bohemian Coding. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think they've changed it. I but like, yeah, you can't really find Bohemian Coding anywhere on the site anymore. Yeah, but yeah. for a while, it was like, who is this Bohemian Coding? Yeah, so maybe it's the equivalent of that, and I yeah. need to probably rectify that at some point. But it's not a burning fire right now. And um, and you also have a podcast called Pro the Progression Podcast. Yes. Which, uh, did you create that to to kind of promote progression frameworks and uh, the platform? Yeah, sort of. I think it's a great uh, Trojan horse for me. Like I can, uh, I can reach out to people that I might otherwise find it hard to talk to if mm -hmm. there's a quid pro quo for them. Yeah. So, it, um, I mean, I don't think th that sounds very cynical. I don't think I've had to do that yet. Yeah. But I also, so some of the I listen to a huge number of podcasts. It's yeah. like uh, really excited to hear that. Well. 
a certain amount of trepidation, but to hear that Spotify are, are buying Anchor and and, and, Gimlet. Know, and Gimlet and yeah. interesting to see where that goes. And it feels like people will start to monetize podcasts and change the landscape. But right now, I love podcasts. I love that it's like you can find two blokes or or two people chatting in a room about some random shit yeah. and like get to know them. It yeah, feels yeah, like yeah. you're in the room with them. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the podcasts I listen to are very frank stories about people building companies. Yeah. Um, there's one called Transist... No, it's called Build Your SaaS. It's these two chaps building um, a, a podcast. Obviously, they're recording a podcast because they're building mm-hmm. a podcast hosting company. Um, but they're really open about like struggles and um, their thought processes and, and how they're going through... Uh, each each week and each each kind of iteration on their product and I just find that fascinating as someone who is also trying to do the same thing so yep. more and more I'll probably steer it towards especially when I lock down a co-founder or two people the team talking openly about how we're how we're getting on and, and um, trying to be open about building a company because mm. I just think it's interesting and I think that it's also um, quite honestly breeds trust uh, if if you're using a product and you can hear the founders talking about decisions they're making, I l- I really yeah. like the Intercom one for that reason. They spend lots of time. They interview people, but they also spend lots of time talking about Intercom. Yeah. Uh, and I don't even use Intercom, but I just th- I like the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just interesting to hear people talking about real problems, real time. Uh, that that kind of uh, reportage version of podcasting appeals to me. Yeah. So I'll probably do more of that and fewer of the. Uh, interviews over time that still fit in some more interesting people as well no i i think again i think it's um it's an i think it's the next blog and uh, as big as blogs were a couple of years ago mm. um and a lot of people have been doing video but video falls more into an entertainment yeah. side i think and again when i'm doing a podcast right now so i think when i join things it's because it's already mainstream i, I just yeah. miss i miss the hipster stage yeah um <laughs> I nearly did get Bitcoin at the right time, but I also <laughs> missed that one. I thought this is never going to be anything. Um, but I really like podcasts, and it took me a long time to start um, listening to podcasts. I just started last year. But when I did, I really engaged with it yeah. because it's so human. And like I'm just so tired of not having decent conversations with people, yeah. and that's just a nice way of having good content yeah. fed straight into you. Absolutely. Um, and I think for companies, it brings, yeah, it brings a more human touch to it and yeah. a face like a voice but um a very human voice exactly exactly uh and um it's also quite a mindful activity i think listening to a podcast you you're able to do the washing up or go for a walk and look at things yeah. and you're not staring at a screen um but you're still taking in information exactly. and it's like it feels like you're in a room with some friends so yeah. it's it's yeah it's a nice format that i hope will grow and i hope won't be spoiled by money yeah same agree um i just want to ask you one thing with all of this this career and focusing on creating products do you ever miss graphic design yes yeah so i'm actually uh a friend of mine austin in fact he was quite often a co co co-host on the podcast Mm -hmm. um is building a pack of cards for so i've been i've been running a bunch of workshops with teams around uh, designing your design career is kind of the overarching kind of format and we're running one together next week end of next week and 
we generally run the same set of games and tasks yeah. and they all revolve around a defined set of skills so we're m making a pack of cards which are skills cards that hopefully one day we'll be able to throw in with a subscription to the product or, or you'll be able to just buy do a Kickstarter or something like yeah, that yeah. but right now it's actually really useful as a visual aid for us to be able to just I can go anywhere and just run a workshop and I have all the tools with me to do that I don't need to like ask someone to print out some A3 paper or whatever yeah. um, so that has been delving back into print uh, really fun opportunity <laughs> to just start yeah. doing some of that stuff again and just like setting some type and uh and I've also uh, actually this month been branding a friend of mine, his small business. And that's a great opportunity to just like get not so much print, but getting back into like, it's kind of a script logo of his name, which is really hard to get right. It like yeah. looks wrong all the time until you suddenly crack it. Um, so stuff like that, you know, I'm still scratching that itch. And there's a huge amount of UI to design for what I'm doing so that, you know, I still get to, do some stuff like that but sending something to print and then the the best thing about designing books is when it comes back it's a fucking book like <laughs> you have you something it, yeah. smell the oh it smells just like litho oh it's just the best <laughs> you get to like play with paper stock for ages and yeah. like pick out exactly what you want it's just there's something tactile about that yeah. um, that takes me all the way back to you know deep setting letterpress so that you get that real like indented type and yeah it's just <laughs> glorious one day i'll get back to it oh also i i've been uh practicing my sign painting so hopefully i'll be able to start uh i, I said i saw that on twitter and i thought why is yeah. this guy doing this like he's building <laughs> yeah. a digital product in the Well, sometimes the you want to just do something in the real world no, absolutely messy, it's amazing you know? it's amazing yeah uh, um, so uh, hopefully i'll be able to work out how to become someone's apprentice and follow them along on some sign painting missions <laughs> and see if i can like build build a little bit of a, an opportunity to sign paint uh yeah nice all right um well i can totally see a pattern you cannot only have one thing going on at the same time yeah and That's i i've met you i i've known you for like two hours so <laughs> <laughs> right uh well jenny this is already overrun it was really 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 good um i loved having this chat with you like you have a really uh, great career and a really great progression um thank you and um it's 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 good that your product now is called progression as well yeah. uh, where can people find more about progression and yourself uh yeah i'm uh johnnybirch.com j-o-n-n-y-b-u-r-c-h.com uh, uh progression is progressionapp.com uh and the progression podcast you find it on any po most podcast players sometimes it's hard to find because like podcast seo is not something i've worked out yet and there's lots of unsurprisingly podcasts with the word progression in them mm. but um if you go to makegrow.co slash podcast then you'll find a link to that so all right awesome well thank you very much it was really great talking to you absolute pleasure thank you all right i really hope you enjoyed this episode uh thank you so much johnny it was really good to to meet up with you and to have this chat um i'm really rooting for progression and for making grow and i'm really hoping that everything goes great and that you remember me when you're running parties in uh, in a yacht um as always i'm going to leave all of these links in the description of the podcast and in the video but if you want to learn more about johnny's uh progression uh product it's in progressionapp.com his website is johnnybirch.com you can find johnny on twitter 
um, and Twitch where he live streams his coding at Johnny Birch. And you can also listen to his podcast, uh, The Progression Pod, at makegrow.co slash podcast. Listen to more Layer Podcast episodes on layerpodcast.com and send us a message and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Layer Podcast. As always, if you'd like to reach out with guest suggestions or send any message, you can email us on hello at layerpodcast.com. To watch the video version of this podcast, you can go to layerpodcast.com slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening and I hope I'll see you on the next one. Goodbye.